Alright. The passage is familiar. You all know it. You could probably quote it. John 14.1. Probably just going to go down through verse 14 maybe. And stop right there. Had a hard time outlining this passage. I guess because it's so familiar. You know, you think you know what it says. But putting it into context, you know, remember what's going on. Jesus just broke up the party, didn't he? They were at the the Last Supper. They're in the upper room. I mean, not the upper room, but they were at the Last Supper. And uh, they were excited. They were having the Passover meal. They were probably feeling really good about Jesus was there in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, and they had just come in from the triumphal entry, and people were yelling Hosanna and all that kind of stuff. And so they were probably excited about the kingdom coming and about Jesus is going to be reigning. And then Jesus lets the air out of their balloon all of a sudden. He says, One of y'all is going to betray me. And then they're like, Oh my goodness, what's this? And then he says, Then he says, um, I'm going to, uh, he says, What? One of y'all, I'm looking at the, out the window, Jalen's pulling like three kids in, in the nursery in a big wagon. Uh, that was a very distracting sight right there. That was like, you don't really know how to take that information. Uh, so uh, he said, I'm leaving. Jesus said, I'm leaving y'all. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh no. And then he told Peter, he said, Peter, you're going to betray me. You're going to deny me three times. And so now all of a sudden the air is out of the room. There's they're worried. They're afraid. They're like, what's going on? Why is this? What's happening? And so Jesus is going to come to them and he's going to tell them, I think, and this is my opinion, but I think that the, the first part of this verse that you know so well, let not your heart be troubled, is going to be the determinative factor that tells us what the rest of it's about. What that means is, I think that the rest of this section down to verse 14 are going to be reasons why we should not be let our hearts be troubled. Does that make sense? He's going to talk about being worried, about being afraid, about things like that. Right now, the disciples... They thought they knew what God's plan was. They thought they were going to be ruling and reigning. And they thought they were going to do all this. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes along and says, Hey, it's not going to be like you wanted it. It's going to be different, but God's going to do it for your good. He's going to do it for your salvation. And they're, they're afraid. They don't understand. They worry. They don't, they, they're not, they're not uh, catching on to how these things are going to, going to come about. Um, and we get like that. You know, God has a, you've heard a million times, God has a plan for your life. He's got something, you know, and a lot of times, you know, as believers, we believe that in our heart. But as we start walking out that plan, it's like, well, this right here is no fun at all. And this is not working out like I thought it was going to. And this is not the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be something different. And we cry out to God, God, what are you doing? Why are you, you know, why are you doing this? And these are reasons here that Jesus is going to give his disciples to trust, even in the midst of stuff going on we don't understand or or stuff happening that makes us afraid, makes us worry. Are, are any of y'all like warriors, like a warrior? At heart, are you a worry at heart, Miss Judy? I'm a worrier too. You know, sometimes I I get to worrying about stuff I can't control, stuff about. I wish I wasn't. I wish I just had the don't care attitude. Like like Jennifer. What you say? Does Jennifer have a don't care attitude? Well, you know what? I'll just you know Dustin's traveling today after they get out of church. He's going to Arkansas. And He's going to preach over there and can't maybe revival this week. Well, that's you know, good. It is good. You know, I'm 
thankful that God is using him the way that he is, but knowing how Dustin drives, that he's driving. He drives like a pastor. He drives like a pastor. Knowing that he's driving toward those storms that are headed this way. Are there storms headed this way? Mm-hmm. See, you don't care. <laughs> I don't know. It's just rain. It'll be okay. And that's where I'm at. And she, she just it consumes her. Oh, he'll be fine. <clears throat> All right, so let's read. Anyway, if you're worried, this is going to help you. This is just for you today. All right, it says, let not your hearts be troubled. This is what Jesus is telling his disciples. Don't let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, don't be fooled. When you say, let, it says, let not your heart be troubled. It's, it's not saying, oh, guys, don't let your heart be troubled. That's a command. It's a command. It's do not allow your heart to be troubled. And about two chapters earlier, or not, maybe it was even last chapter, but it was two or three lessons ago, we saw where Jesus was troubled in his heart. And so we're not, it's, we're not saying that any time, there, there's a certain amount of, uh, it's good to worry about some things. Like if you're going 150 miles an hour in your car on the highway, and you're riding in the passenger side, it's good to be worried about that. It's good to, you know, you need to slow down. To worry. It's good to worry about some things. It's good to, it's good to take care to know that uh, you're, not, uh, you're not testing God. You're not going to just jump off the temple and say, hey, if God wants me to be saved, he'll save me from dying. You know, if you jump off the building, you're probably going to die. You know, so um, this, this here is a worry. The disciples are worried and afraid that God's plan is not going going to be fulfilled, but it's the plan the way they want it. Does that make sense? Yep. Like, God's got a plan. He's going to have me taken care of and I'm going to be, you know, just for us, it'd be like, He's going to meet my needs. I'm not going to have to worry about, you know, surviving because He said He would supply my every need. And then when it doesn't happen just the way I want to, then I start worrying and I start fretting and I start saying, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? Why is this things like this? And it's because His plan is not being fulfilled the way that I want it to be fulfilled. And that's what these disciples were doing. For all intents and purposes, they thought they were going to be ruling the world. You know, Jesus was going to rule the world on the throne of David and take over Israel and cast out the Romans. And they were going to do all these things. And then here Jesus is saying, hey guys, I'm leaving. <laughs> Bye. You know, and, and all of a sudden they're just tossed into a, into a you know, a fretful mindset, fear, betrayal is going to happen. And all these things are going on. And so Jesus is going to tell them that... Uh, you can't just, you can't just, our fleshly makeup is such that you can't just stop worrying. If somebody says, well, don't worry about it, that, you know, that that's easy to say and it's, you know, that's good advice and that's nice and pretty. But the reality is you can't just stop worrying about it. But what you can do is you can replace the worry with faith. That's what he says. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. He said, believe in God and believe also in me. Uh, You believe in God. You believe also in me. uh, Therefore, you focus your attention on trusting him. Now, if I was a disciple, and it's easier said than done, it's a fight. So I'm not saying just flip the light switch and all your worries go away. And now you're just trusting in God and, you know, tiptoeing through the tulips and walking on the clouds and everything's going to be fine. Uh, It's a fight to do this. And so... Uh, when 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 things the disciples they could have if they knew what we know now they could have said you know what 
the way we thought it was going to work, not the way it's going to work, but hey, you know what? Jesus is still going to reign and he's still going to, you know, his kingdom's still going to rule and we're still going to be saved and it's still going to be good. And we're just trusting that he's going to do what he's going to do. They could have done that. Uh, if, but they didn't know what we know. Does that make sense? Are y'all with me? I'm like stuttering all over the place. Michelle, are you with me? Okay, I'm just making sure. You replace it with faith. How do you do that? When I'm worried about, what's something we worry about now? Kids. You worry about your kids. Okay. How do we replace that worry with faith? We just pray for them and ask God to take care of them. Okay. That, that's what I do. And then do you turn loose all that worry and just trust and then just trust that God has got it taken care of? I do the best that I can. Yeah, but it's a fight, isn't it? it it's a, you would not believe because people that don't worry don't understand. And I wasn't like this until she was born. I wasn't like this until she got here. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> Okay, what else do we worry about? What else do we worry about? Bills. Bills. We worry about... Huh? Already said kids. Yeah, got that one. Got that one. Well, it is... Okay, I could give you 30 cliches that you could put on Facebook and they're all true and you've all heard them before like worrying doesn't help anything being afraid doesn't help anything it's just making you miserable and you all know those things and they're all right and you would all agree with all of them that I would say but when it boils down to it it's it's up to you to fight to focus your mind on Christ and God and his will rather than what might happen or might not happen and that's what causes worry. Does that make sense? I could sit down and like if you've got babies, I could sit down with your child, your baby, your toddler, and I could explain to them the mechanics of walking and how it will affect their life to walk and how they will learn it, life will be better if they would just learn to walk and how to shift your weight as you put your heel in your toe. You know, you can just tell them all about walking and the benefits of walking. In the, but until the baby gets out on the carpet and falls on her face four or five times, he's never going to learn how to walk. It's just that simple. So I can tell you, hey, hey guys, don't worry, guys got it. I can say trust in the Lord. I can say all these things and, and all those things are true and you've probably heard other people say them a million times uh, before but it's up to you to actually get out on the carpet and fall on your face. It's actually it's up to you to to make to make war to fight against the feelings of worry and the way you do that uh, more times often than not is it's like changing the channel on the television. I mean, when you just, if you were sick, if something came and you had some symptoms of something going on in your body and you went to the doctor, the doctor would never tell you to ignore it. That's the worst thing you could do, right? He would say, if you got chest pains, don't ignore the chest pains, no, those kind of things, whatever. But what I'm telling you to do in a spiritual sense when it comes to despair, depression, worry, all those things that... that infect your mind and take you where they want you to go, uh, the best thing to do it is to ignore it. I'm talking about stick your fingers in your ear like a four-year-old and go, la, 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 I'm not paying attention to you. 
and you focus yourself on what God has for you and trusting what He's going to do in your life, trusting that He's going to take care of it. How He chooses to take care of it may not line up with how I want it taken care of, but it's going to be taken care of one way or another. Does that make sense? It's not like flipping a light switch. So if you're waiting on that one, you know, people come to me for, for counseling at the hospital. I mean, you can believe that. People come for counseling. They, they're expecting, okay, here's my problem. Tell me what the fix is. And when I, when I give them the magic words, it's going to flick the light switch and the problem's going to go away. Uh, sorry, life doesn't work that way. <laughs> I wish I could. I wish I could do that for you, but I, I really can't. I'm still working on my own crap. You know, it's like, uh, thanks for coming in to tell me about your problem. Now let me tell you about mine. Uh, that was funny, but it's okay. Y'all just <laughs> Uh, you got to fight to do it. It's a war. It's a fight. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a battle, and it's a battle not just to stop worrying. You can't just s- stop worrying, stop being afraid. You have to replace that with something else. You have to replace that with faith, with with hope, with trust, those kind of things. That makes sense. You with me? That's what he does. Any, anything y'all want to say? Just gonna make me talk the whole time, huh? Okay. All right, four reasons in the next verses up until verse 14 why they should not be afraid, not let their heart be troubled, but trust in Christ. Believe in God. Believe also uh, in me. Uh, They're falling apart. You know, they they feel like their their last three years have been wasted because now he's not going to rule. He's leaving. He's leaving us high and dry. Um, And the first thing that he says in verse 2 and 3 is that the first thing, the the reason why you put aside your, your fear and you're being troubled and you trust in God is because he is going to prepare a place for them. That's what he says. I'm not leaving just to leave you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. It says in verse 2, it says, in my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go I pre- to, and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, that is supposed to comfort them. They're, he's saying, I'm not just leaving. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare that place, I'm going to come back and I'm going to receive you unto myself. Um, how does that play for us, though? He is gone now to prepare a place for us as well as those disciples. So when you're worried about your bills, when you're worried about your kids, when you're worried about how things are are working out in your life or how things are going on and your heart is troubled over different things, how does Jesus going to prepare a place for you help you to trust that he has a plan and a purpose and it's all going to be okay? Nobody? Yeah, there's more to come. There's hope. Yeah, he's our blessed hope. Yeah. And when we get despair and downcast, walk on the floor. Walk on the floor. I play video games when I'm downcast. And that's the thing. We have the number one reason why people fall into despair, depression, uh, that panicky feeling, those kind of things, is because they think there's no hope. 
That's the worst part about even if you feel bad uh, for something else, when you start getting it in your mind that I'm never going to be any other way than this and this is just how life's going to be, that's when despair comes. That's when those things turn into something, you know, almost make you sick to your stomach. And the reality is that you have hope. Even if, you know, even if, even if our hope is, you know, we've talked about heaven and how you're going to be with Christ and you're going to be who you are and you're not going to lose your memories or your, all those things, you're going to be you and you're going to have a real body in eternity. It'll be a spiritual perfected body, but it'll be a real body. And we've talked about those things and that's something to look forward to. I mean, you see people... There was a young man that was in his 20s that was, that uh, actually he passed away now, but he was dying of, of some kind of cancer that was, you know, I think it was either liver or colon or something like that. But, uh, and, and this guy, you know, for all intents and purposes, if that was me, I could see myself going, it's just not fair. I'm only 20 something years old. I didn't even get a chance to do half of the stuff other people do and life is over and I don't understand all this. But the reality was that he trusted in Christ. And I'm sure there was fear in there he had to battle. I'm sure there was worry that he had to fight against. But uh, every every time I was around him, every time I talked to him, he was hopeful of what was to come in the future. Jesus said, look, we're going to the Father's house. And if the Father didn't have a house and you didn't have a mansion or a place to live there in the in the Father's house, I would have told you that. He says, but I'm going to prepare that place for you. And if I go to prepare it, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. When, it, when he says, I'm going to prepare the place for you, does that mean your house in heaven is not finished yet? It's like Jesus would be like, wait a minute. I'm almost done. He was a carpenter. He was a carpenter, yes. What do you think it means? How did Jesus prepare the place for them? What was he about to do? Yeah, he's about to go to the cross. By going to the cross, he was going to open the way. He was going, by dying on the cross, he was preparing their way to go into, to be accepted by the Father. And he's prepared our way. He's, I mean, we, we're on this side of the cross. We know what he's done and he's prepared that way. So even if the worst circumstances happen, and they do happen to believers, I mean, just like everybody else, we live in a fallen world, there will come a time in this life when you will suffer. Get ready for it. You're going to get sick if you live long enough. You're going to, all these things are going to happen. Even if you're blessed enough, I've said this many times, even if you're blessed enough to never get sick in your whole life, guess what? When you hit 80 and 90, folks that you love are probably going to be dying around you. They're probably going to, you're probably going to lose loved ones. You're probably going to lose, you know, you are going to go through suffering that we all go through in this world. But we have a hope that's beyond this world because Jesus went to prepare a place for us. And that place is real. It's not, uh, I try, when I talk to people, I try to stay away from those cliched uh, statements that, you know, just don't help. But, you know, they sound good when you say them. And one of the things is that we always say is now, you know, you know what, he's in a better place or he's going, you know, we all have heard that. And that is a true statement. When we, when we as believers die, pass from this life, we go to be with the Father. Jesus comes to receive us unto, unto uh, Himself. And I believe, and this is just me thinking out loud right here, most of the people that I read, the commentators, scholars, preachers, those things, they take Jesus saying, I will come again to receive you unto Myself as the second coming of Christ. Okay? 
I don't think it is. And I could be wrong, so I, I'm ready to be corrected. But I don't think it is. I think it's when a person passes away, Christ comes to receive him unto himself. Now, whether that means, you know, you're in the midst of passing away and you look up and there's Jesus, you know, I, I can't tell you about all the mechanics of it. But I'm thinking that it's when, when, we, when we get ready to go to heaven. And the reason I think that is because he was looking at 11 men right in front of him. I mean, he was looking at you going, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you unto myself. And those guys have been dead for 2,000 years. And so Paul said to be absent from this body is to be where? Present with the Lord. So where are those guys today? The apostles, the 11 men. They're present with the Lord. And so if it's his second coming, it seems kind of redundant, doesn't it? That he would come back to get them when they're already in his presence. You know, and that's just me. That's just a theory. That's not. But it gives me comfort to think that, doesn't it, you? Like if I was a disciple, if I was John sitting right there by Jesus and all these things were going on. Jesus has just told us he's leaving us and that Peter's going to deny him and, and all this stuff. I'm worried. I'm, I'm afraid. I'm like, what's happening? What, what have we wasted the last three years of our lives? And um, Jesus tells them, look, look. I'm going to go away, but I'm going to prepare you a place. And if I'm going to prepare you a place, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. Would that be a comfort to John who was sitting right there if Jesus was talking about, hey, in in 2,500 years, I'm going to come back and get you. Would that be a comfort to John who's sitting right there in Jesus' presence? It's like, no, that's not going to be much of a comfort to him. But he was comforting those men. Hey, don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come back and I'm going to receive you into myself. And one of the biggest things I have in my own life have been afraid of is, and we all are to some extent, is death. Uh, death is the great enemy that, that Scripture speaks of. And so no matter if you're, you know, we're all a little, we have something inside of us that I don't want that. You know, whether it's fear, whether it's hatred, whether it's animosity, whatever, you have something in you that just I don't want. For me, it's been afraid. My whole life, I was afraid of death. You know, and in college, I told you all the story. You know, I just figured, you know what? It doesn't matter how good I do or what I do, how much money I make, if I'm successful, if I'm a failure, if I'm whatever, it's all going to end the same way. I'm going to end up dead. You know, and if I got millions, I'm going to be dead. And if I've got nothing, I'm going to be dead. <laughs> and so, it, it, it all is going to end the same way. And that drove me, of course, to just do nothing, you know, to be lazy, to do nothing. And uh, the reality is, the reality is that we don't have to fear that. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear of, you know, we don't have to, we don't have to worry about it's going to end in death and it doesn't matter if I lived a good life or it doesn't matter if I took care of my family. If it doesn't matter if I was successful or not successful. We don't have to, we don't have to be that way because it's not the end that we have a hope that goes beyond. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? Is there any comments or questions or anything? Is that, is that helpful or am I just talking academic stuff that you don't care about? Give me some feedback. Either smile or don't smile. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right, the second thing, he's leaving to prepare them in place. Second thing is the verse you've heard a million times. He is, he's giving himself to make a way for us to go. It says, um, where am I? And whither I go, you know, and you know the way. Why would Jesus say, hey, where I'm going, you know where I'm going, and you know the way to where I'm going? 
When did he tell him where he was going? In the verse before. What did he say? I'm going to prepare your place. In the Father's house. Many and I'm going to prepare you a place. He said, you know where I'm going. You know the way. And Thomas says, Lord, we know not where thou goest. How can we know the way? And Jesus says the most famous verse that you probably heard. I am the way. And I am the truth. And I am the life. So think about this. The first thing he said, reason why you don't worry, you have a hope. I'm going to prepare you a place. I'm going to come receive you unto myself. The second thing is, I am the way to this place that you're going, to this to this relationship with the Father. You don't have to jump through hoops in order to get there. You don't have to do X, Y, and Z and make sure you do it right. Because if you mess it up, you know, we're going to, you know, you're going to be in trouble and you're not going to make it. No, Jesus said, I am the way. I'm not the man who's standing here telling you about the way. I am the way myself. Does that make sense? So you got all these prophets before Jesus that came along and they were showing the way to God. This is the way to God. Come this way. Come this way. And Jesus is not one of those saying, hey, I'm showing you the way. Jesus himself is the way. How is he the way? How is the way? Okay, that's not a trick question. Because he says, believe in God, believe also in me. How did Jesus make a way for us to go into God's presence? By By dying on the cross and by rising again. Exactly right. And he is the truth. He is the life. He is the only way to eternal life. And so... What he's saying here is, you don't have to worry about where you're going to be because I'm going to prepare your place. You don't have to worry about getting there because I'm the way there. I'm the way there. I'm the only truth that gets you there. And I am myself. I am the life that you're going to have when you get there. Does that make sense? He says, he's saying he is the perfect way. And these troubles only, you know, they're, they're only going to last for a season. They're only going to last for a season of your life. Right now, disciples, you don't understand. You don't understand God's plan. You think he should be doing this and this and this. But the reality is, disciples, I'm leaving and I'm, I'm leaving you and you're going to deny me and you're they're, they're going to be betrayal and it's going to be this big bloody scene and it's going to look like all hope is lost and everything's gone. But you do not let your heart be troubled in the midst of all this because I'm going to prepare a place for you. And not only am I going to prepare that place for you, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you and you won't have to jump through all the hoops of works righteousness in order to get there because I'm not showing you how I'm not showing you the way to get there. I I myself am going to the cross and all this is going to happen so that I will be the way for you and it'll be by grace through faith. That makes sense? Okay. Man, y'all are a tough crowd today. Is it, it's hot in here. Is this me? Okay. Where are we at? Verse 7. Jesus is in perfect unity with the Father. Verse 7. Somebody else read it. Why well, I got to read all the time? Seven through ten. You should have found my father also, and from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Keep going. And Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father and his substance. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Okay, now think about this. Okay, I'm a disciple. I'm John, and I'm sitting here at this table. 
I'm thinking Jesus is going to bring the kingdom and it's all going to be wonderful. Flowers and puppy dogs and rainbows. And beauty. And Jesus just told me that he's leaving me. And that he's going to prepare a place for me. And so I'm afraid. So Jesus says, hey, don't be afraid. Don't worry. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come back and get you. And I am the way that you're going to get there. So you won't have to jump through hoops. Now, if I'm a disciple... And I'm not fully, you know, uh, uh, I'm not fully getting this whole thing. I'm not fully understanding all this. Even after Jesus rose from the dead, they still weren't fully understanding what all was going on. Uh, if I'm one of the disciples, I'm going to say, what about the Father? I mean, what's He going to say? I mean, how can, how can you do this? How can you do this without the Father's approval? Because really, the, you know, he, God told us that He's going to come back and He's going to rule and reign and He's going to, you know, save us from all the Romans and set up a throne in Jerusalem and all these things. How, how, how is this going to work just on your own authority? And Jesus is telling them here, he says, he says, the things that I'm saying are from the Father. The things that I'm doing are from the Father. Did you get it out? Did you get it out? <laughs> he says, the things that I'm doing, he said, if you had known me, then you should have known my Father also. From henceforth, he says, from now on, you will know him. When the, Jesus is crucified, when he is buried and then raised again, you'll, you'll know him. And then you have seen him. When you see Jesus, you have seen the Father. Lord, show us the Father, Philip said, and it'll be enough. What did Philip want? He wanted visible proof. I want proof that what you're saying is true. Is any of us like that? Oh, yeah. All the time. I mean, all the time. I, I just, I can, I can relate to that just myself. God, if you'll just show me where you're taking me, then I'll trust you and I'll not worry about how I'm getting there. But God doesn't work that way, usually. He said, if you'll just show us the Father, then it'll be enough, okay? It's not that we don't trust you, but just show me, you know, what did he want, do you think? I mean, there's no, I don't know the answer, I'm just asking. Do you think he wanted like Moses saw when God passed by and Moses was in a rock? Or what do you think he wanted? Elijah saw the glory of the Lord. Maybe he wanted to see Jesus manifest and glow and you know, he was just scared. Yeah. You know, he was human. Yep. He was. And Jesus tells him what? He He's says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Does that mean Jesus is the Father? No. That's what he says. The very next verse says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? How does Jesus, Jesus demonstrates, if we look at him and his life, he demonstrates who God is to us. God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We know that. Uh, but Jesus' life and ministry and his walk demonstrates the, the kind of God that we serve. We serve a God that is loving. He loves those who are broken. He loves those who are hurting. He loves those who are outcast and sickly and lepers and all those things. Uh, but he also shows righteousness. He shows righteousness when it comes to those self-righteous Pharisees who believe they could do good by their works and get to God. You know, a lot of people don't realize this, but that was the one group in the Bible that Jesus most often made fun of. And he called them names. Like Jesus said, you brood of vipers. You know, he called them a brood of vipers. He called them whitewashed tombs. He called them all kind of things. 
He he didn't have any patience for the self-righteous religious folks. But if you were broken and hurting and repentant and needed, then he was right there. It didn't matter what disease you had or how low you were in society. You see what I mean? So he says, that shows us something about our God. He's a a loving God that, that loves us when we're broken and hurting. And we can come to him with our fears. We can come to him with our pains, with our struggles and all those things. But the only way we can't come to him is self-righteous, I'm doing good enough, everything's going to be fine, I'm, I'm making it myself. So Jesus says, if you've seen the Father, I mean, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. And so what he's saying is, well, you, don't, you don't have to worry about not making it. You don't have to worry about me telling you things that aren't true because the, I'm telling you these things by the Father's authority. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then finally... In the last uh, two, three, well, three verses, Jesus promises to give believers his authority. Okay, and it says, uh, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he also do, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. And this is how it's accomplished. Whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If, shall ask, if you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Okay, so he's leaving. He's going to prepare a place. He's going to come back and receive them unto himself. He's later on in this chapter, he's going to tell them he's not leaving them alone. He's going to send another comforter to be with them. Um, but he's saying that when I go, I'm going to prepare your place. I'm going to come back, receive you unto myself. I'm telling you these things in the very authority of the Father, and I'm giving myself to make a way for you to go. He says, and when I go, because I go to the Father, he says, you will do greater works than I've done. You, The works that I'm doing, you're going to do, and even greater ones. What do you think he meant by that. Now, wait, first thing is, it can't be super, super Christians. Like, well, he, he meant, he meant the, the top, the preachers or the priests. He didn't really mean all of us because it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, literally it says, everyone who believes on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. What does that mean, do you think, the greater works? Does it mean you're going to be turning water into wine? Like greater, greater works than that would it be? It'd be water into Jack Daniels or something. No, I think it means that we'll be able to lead people to. Yeah, his whole life and ministry was he didn't do miracles just to do miracles. Hey guys, look at you know, look, I'm gonna turn water to wine, keep the party going. Ooh, you know, he, he didn't he didn't do it just for its own sake. He did it to show that he was the Christ, he was the Messiah, and they are to repent of their sin and turn to him and turn to him in faith. Uh, more often than not, John calls them signs rather than, than miracles. And so his whole walk, his whole ministry was about turning people from their sin to God. How do we do greater works than Jesus himself does in that sense? We lead people to Christ. We do. And we have a completed, consummated gospel. Jesus has gone to the cross. Think about the book of Acts. They did greater works in this sense than Jesus did. Because the first time, the first time Peter got up to preach, empowered by the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, what happened? He preached 3,000 people at one time got saved. And then the next day it says 
three or four thousand. And then it says, and God was adding to the church daily those who believe. And if you look at Jesus' ministry, what when Jesus preached to the five thousand after he fed them, what happened? Yeah, they all went away. About eleven left, the disciples. They all left. They didn't want to hear. They didn't have. But when the Spirit came, when Jesus was crucified, glorified, and ascended to His Father, the Holy Spirit fell upon the believers, and then Christ Himself, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, uh, it caused conviction and repentance and and conversion. All these people, and then from that point on, I mean, it just it just. I mean, it just grew and grew and grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. See what I mean? If you look around the world today, you can look at the news and say, wow, how awful it is and, and the world's going to hell in a handbasket. But the reality is, around the world, if you look today more than any other day, around the world, Christianity is actually growing. And it's, it's growing by leaps and bounds. Now, in America, our brand of Christianity is kind of, you know, it's not good. It's not, it's, God, it's man-centered, what's God going to do for me, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, the, the gospel house churches and those things that are secretive, they're growing in China. And somebody predicted not too, not too many years ago that in so many years, there'll be more Christians in, in China than there are in America. There'll be more Christians in Africa than there are in America. And so you can see that the Holy Spirit's still moving. We haven't lost hope yet. We haven't given up yet. We haven't says, you know what, there's just nothing we can do. It says, you'll do greater works than me. When you think about, it's a miracle that God created the earth and the heavens in seven days or six days, right? I mean, that's a miracle. But God just spoke and it happened. The greater miracle to me is God taking a God-hating enemy, a wretched sinner who's cursed and spit on God by his lifestyle, and taking out that heart, giving him a heart that all of a sudden loves God and wants to serve God, that's a miracle. I mean, that's a, that's a supreme miracle. And he didn't just speak to have it happen. He actually took on flesh and came and died on the cross, lived amongst us, came and died on the cross, and rose again from the dead to have that happen. And so what we see after the, the conversion and the gospel going forth, uh, I believe that's what Jesus was talking about. He wasn't just to, to drop this down to the level of just regular old miracles, turning water into wine or, or walking on the water or doing something like that. I think it cheapens the idea of the works of God. Because, you know, there's nothing greater than the conversion of a person. Even in Mark chapter 6, Jesus was going back to his hometown. His hometown did not believe him. They were like, isn't this Jesus? We know him. We know his sisters. We know his brothers. We know his, you know, we've seen him grow up. I, saw, I remember when he was playing in the road, Jesus, you know, don't come preaching to me. And so he said that none of them believed. And then there's a verse, I think it's Mark 6, 5, maybe right in there somewhere. It says, it says, and he could do no mighty work there except he healed a few sick folks. And for us, a mighty work would be healing the sick folks. But for him, I really couldn't do any great work there because none of you believed. But, you know, I'll heal a few sick folks. So the works that we do that are greater than his, it's the gospel. It's preaching the gospel. Yes? Do you think that uh, Jesus was, he went ahead and healed a few sick folks? And not because of belief, but, but because of the Father, just the Father would show that he is the Son, even in that situation. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't know his exact motivation, but you can see it over and over again that his healings were not... 
They were not just, woo, I'm a miracle worker. Look at me, you know. Look, What it was doing was it was proving that he was the Messiah. It was validating his message. And the second thing, it was a glimpse of what the kingdom of God is going to be like when it's consummated. Because there won't be no sickness. You see what I mean? He was saying, this is the kingdom of God breaking into your world. You know, watch, bang. And sickness is gone. And, or death is gone when he raised Lazarus or he raised uh, the little girl, uh, Jairus' daughter. Or, or whatever he did, he was showing us a picture of what the kingdom of God is going to be like by showing how it's breaking into our world right now. Does that make sense? And then finally, asking in his name. Is that just saying in Jesus' name? Huh? That's true. That's true. Got to have faith. But it says it in the scripture right there, the most important part of any of that is just God being glorified. God being, he said, I'll do it that God, what verse are we on, 14? 13. Whosoever shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Does that mean if I ask for a Rolls Royce, that he's bound and to give me a Rolls Royce? No. We Why? His will, which is the best for us because he knows Right. What it means to come in the name of another in the scripture means to come by their authority. To come, if I come in the name of the king, I bear the seal of the king, I bear the authority of the king, and you better dang well listen to me because I'm coming in the name of the king. When John and Peter, I think it was John and Peter, were brought before the Pharisees in Acts chapter 4, they asked him, you know, they were in trouble for preaching Jesus, and they asked, the Pharisees asked, asked them to, they said, by whose name and by what authority are you doing these things? And so what they were asking was not whose name, like whose name are you calling it? They were saying, what authority gives you the right to come and do these things? And so to to ask in his name is to, is to understand that you're asking by his authority. It's to live under his authority and under his righteousness and to be his messenger, to be his, to be his um, herald, I guess. I get the picture of like a, you know, I don't, I'm always thinking medieval, but like a... Right, right. Like in the medieval times, they would send, and the king would have a stamp and a seal, and put his seal in the wax deal. And if you carried that deal, then you had the authority of the king. Whatever that deal said, that's what, that was what was fixing to happen. You know whether, and the Romans would give you a, uh, you know a, a form. I said form like a, a, a declaration from Caesar, and that declaration would allow you to travel throughout the Roman Empire. If anybody stopped you and said whatever, then you just showed them that declaration and said, look here, Caesar has, I can go wherever I want to go. And so to come to ask in his name is not just to tack on in the name of Jesus at the end of your prayer. It is to come in his authority before God. It's to come by his will, just like you said. It's to glorify. It's to, it's to come in his name in, in the sense that you are his ambassador. You are his messenger. You are his, you are his um, worker. And you are coming and doing the work in his name. And so when you come and you ask in Jesus' name uh, for whatever it may be that will glorify the Father because that's what your life is supposed to be purposed about. Once you come in his name is to be glorifying the Father. He'll do it. Simple as that. 
Um, sometimes it's hard for us to believe that Jesus will do it. Uh, most of the time when we run into trouble with this verse is when people think Jesus is now my butler. And he's up there in heaven and all I have to do is tack on in Jesus' name and I can have whatever I want. I can do whatever. That's not what he's saying. I remember we was at the... Is it time to go yet? We were at the fall festival. Yes, it is. The last little story in this... We were, I was doing magic tricks for kids and we were passing out gospel tracts and the youth were witnessing and this lady came up and uh, I had those, you know those million dollar bill gospel tracts that I got, those million dollar bill thing? I had some of those laying out and she said, ooh, I thought that was a million dollars. I said, no ma'am, I've never even really seen a million dollars. And she said, well, if you keep talking like that, you won't ever see it. <laughs> and I said, well, what do you mean? She says, Jesus said that whatever you ask, he'll give you. And I said, does that mean a million dollars too? She said, whatever you ask, he will give you. And said, she said, you can call things into existence that are not. And I said, really? She said, yeah. I said, well, it's kind of hot out here. Make me a tree right here. She was like, shut up. <laughs> she took offense. She took offense to it. It's like... He didn't give it to you as a carte blanche to say, hey, you know what? You want a big old house? You want a big car? You know, you want a life without suffering? You just tack on in Jesus' name to your prayer and I'll hook you up. That's not what it means. You're coming in His authority and you're His servant and you will go through suffering, uh, but He has provided a place for you. So go to prepare a place. I'm coming again to receive you. I've made the way so you don't have to jump through hoops to get there and I'm speaking on the Father's authority. So now you go and whatever you need, to accomplish this task, whatever you need to go and spread this word, glorify the Father, whatever you need, you ask it in my authority. You ask it in my righteousness and I'm going to do it for you. See, does that make sense? Anything you want to say? I think it's hard to break that mindset that we've been told things like that over and over Yeah. But inherently, I think we know. Yeah. I mean, there's something inside of you that knows that Jesus ain't talking about getting you a Lamborghini. You know what I mean? I mean, you just kind of intuitively know that. And we, we kind of know, but when you're in need and you're suffering, uh, that's kind of what he's talking about. The whole, the whole theme of this text, this passage, is let not your heart be troubled. That's the theme. And these are the reasons why. You've got my authority. You've got a way that's made for you. You've got a place that's prepared for you. You've got, you've got a Savior that's going to come back and get you. You know, th- these things are going to these things are going to happen. And so you don't, uh, you don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. Okay? Let's pray and we'll go. Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for your blessings and we thank you for your word. God, we pray that you would be with us.